Hey guys, welcome to Frontlines. It's the first one of 2021. And as you know, with 2021, uh, as soon as that, that TikTok hit 12, everything changed, right? Like everything became uh, brand new, no, no more problems, 2020 behind us, you know, uh, right, Daniel? I mean, that's that's how it felt to me. Like clean slate, clean slate. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, hey, so uh, welcome on Peyton Jones. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, I am the co-host here with Daniel Yang, who's the director of the Send Institute. And uh, I don't really know what I am. I mean, I was content director here for a while and uh, they still keep me hanging around and uh, I like being here. Dang it. Uh, so welcome to, yeah. you know, author extraordinaire, uh, founder, new, I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff, but you know, Hey, I'm bored of that stuff. I'm bored talking about it, but Hey um, man. So uh, Daniel kick us off, man. Let's get started today. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited for this season that we're jumping into because uh, a lot of what we'll be doing over the next uh, you know, few episodes, I'm really excited about some of the, the, the guests that we'll be interviewing. Because again, Frontlines is really about uh, how do we get in the trenches and really talk about what's actually happening on the ground, both in church planting, but also church leadership. And so I'm, I'm super excited that, you know, we're going to have Drew Hun coming on soon. We're going to have um, uh, Tommy and Brianna Wilkerson from Tampa Underground. You know, we love the folks there um, in the underground. Uh, Aubrey Am uh, Samson, who's a, a great friend of mine. She's a friend to Exponential, spoken there several times. I actually have preached at their church. So we're really excited to have some of these key leaders who are just really on the ground, leading churches, multiplying their churches. Uh, and we want to have these real discussions with them to interact with you all, because we know that really coming out of the pandemic, we're all kind of refocusing right now. And we're, we're not just talking about theory. We're not just talking about like future, future stuff. We're talking about stuff that really matters right now in the trenches today on the front lines. And so um, I'm really amped up about that because I do think, you know, although I, I agree with you, like 2021 was not like the switch where everything is better now. But I do, you know, you got to admit, Peyton, that there is something about the newness of a new year that it gets yeah. our minds geared up, our, our, our emotions kind of like reset. And, you know, I spent some time with our church plan this past weekend just thinking again you know here's a chance to recommit ourselves not to just the mission that's in front of us but commit ourselves to what god's doing all around the world through the kingdom of god and uh, that's really what this episode is going to be about today is we're talking about you know the trends that we're seeing um you know coming out of this past year and what we really think is going to be important for you as you continue to lead in the new year uh, you know, both of us are practitioners, both of us are also leading in our own ways, uh, but we also love learning from other leaders, and we're going to bring some of the insight to our discussion today. A little bit later, we're going to have some time on the back end for you all to drop in questions. As a matter of fact, you can, keep do you can do that right now if you have questions for us, and then we'll start filtering through them uh, towards the back end. But Peyton, I thought a good way to start um, our first episode in the new year was to talk about like what were the most difficult moments for you this past year and then what's you know what's been the most inspiring moment for you of 20 wow so aside from all of it um as you guys can tell i've got drywall on the wall this is my makeshift office i have been in a non-stop pilgrimage but you know i'm with you like the new year hits and i'm i geek out like i grab a planner i get away for a couple of days I set goals. I'm a big believer in that. And I love hitting a reset as often as I can. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Sarcasm aside from the beginning. But, you know, when 2020 hit, I think I got COVID. I got stranded in the Portland airport back in January when all this stuff was breaking out and they were just whispering about COVID. And I got stuck overnight in the airport. And of course, that's a hub, you know, Pacific Northwest, Portland and Seattle were, were hot spots for COVID. And I got the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I've traveled all over the world. I've been sick, but I got so ill. I was down for five weeks. And funny enough, the day that I was doing a webinar and a podcast for Exponential, my wife goes, shut up. You're getting in the car. Don't argue because I don't go to the doctor. And she goes, you're getting in the car. You're going to go to the doctor. And they were like, really like, uh-oh, you know, like they, I could tell they thought I had COVID. And, you know, I never got diagnosed. I think they didn't want to learn that there was no test at that point, but I was sick for five weeks. So the hardest thing was I hit the ground 
uh, you know, I didn't hit the ground running in 2020. I hit a brick wall from like day one. I didn't do any goals. I didn't do any planning, but I was also working on a textbook. And every day during, you know, the second half of 19, the first half of 20 was getting this textbook done. And I'll be honest, every day was like a test of faith, that constant, there's no way I get this thing done. And uh, this is bigger than me. I don't know why he said yes to this. Gosh, I'm an idiot. So I fought with a textbook for a year, which right away is not enough time to write a book, right? I wrote 800 pages. Zondervan said, we only want 400. The book is Church Plantology. Cha-ching! There's a little shameless plug. But uh, what about you, Daniel? What about what about 2020 was tough for you, man? Yeah, man. I mean, they're uh, like everybody, the adjustment to, uh, to digital everything. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about an inspiring moment that I had, and then I'll talk about some of the difficulty, but they're both good. They're both really inspiring. Uh, you know, early on in the pandemic, when everybody was, you know, it was pivot, pivot everything, right? Uh, we partnered up, Sentence 2 partnered up with uh, a Catapult Group and then also uh, Christ Together to create cohorts to mentor uh, pastors and church leaders through a 90-day plan. And we were thinking, man, we got 100, you know, 150 churches signed up. That would be awesome. And the thing ballooned, man, uh, just thousands of pastors that went through that. But the most inspiring uh, story from that, and I want a huge shout out to Doug Paul and to, to Todd Milby and the folks from Catapult. Um, but um, uh, one of our early participants um, was a Russian translator, not even a, not even a pastor or church leader. She was a Russian translator, and she just thought that what we were doing was so valuable, helping church leaders develop a 90-day strategy that she took it upon herself as a Russian translator to, to translate the materials that we had developed. And she started leading over a hundred Russian speaking pastors throughout Europe through this. And man, oh man, I, I can't tell you, like that was a Holy Spirit thing. It was a reminder to me right off the pandemic that the Holy Spirit was in charge. Uh, Holy Spirit was still working. And that was super inspiring for us because it confirmed to at least us in that partnership that God was behind that. And then a few months after that, um, began just brainstorming and praying with some of our friends and said, you know, really believe that God's using this time to uh, reimagine some of the possibilities of what church could be. And, you know, I'm not I'm not super you know, innovative and I'm not like a super, super original thinker, but have been learning a lot from uh, decentralized models. And so uh, in a nutshell, you know, we began planting a decentralized church in the midst of uh, the pandemic. And that's been really cool. Um, and uh, we're all co-vocational. Uh, none of us are, you know, full-time paid pastors from that sense, although, you know, we need more of that. But it's been a great journey to see what God's been doing through the Prodigal Network uh, here in the Chicagoland area. And so I totally get like the struggles of being in the trenches right now in the pandemic. And uh, but God's also used that to really jazz me up and inspire me again. So, uh, man, 2020 was hard, but I think it was hard in a good way. And we're going to see a lot of dividends uh, come from it because I think a lot of us were walking in obedience. But hey, let me ask you, you're writing a textbook. Uh, that means you probably read tons of great books. Now, for our viewers and listeners, um, what what were your favorite books from 2020 that you read? So, okay, so if we're talking church planning books, um, Global Church Planning by Dr. Ott, um, amazing. And I remember reading that going, wow, you know, now, now that I've, I've read this book, I almost wonder if I even need to write a book, right? Because that book is a masterpiece if you've never gotten it. And uh, consequently, he, I got him to endorse my book. So that was good. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to mention two other books real quick um, that are not to do with church planning, but um, it, it's kind of, I put off reading Dune for like ever, and I, I, it just sounded boring, right? Like a, a, a planet of sand and a bunch of giant worms and some weird prophecy and some dude, masterpiece. It is the writing that is amazing on that book. And then thirdly, I just finished a book, um, strange uh, uh, that I would pick this, but a book about Margaret Thatcher, of all people. Um, yeah. I lived in Britain. I lived in Wales. I lived in post-industrial Wales. She was not a popular figure amongst the working class where I lived. But I read this book. I don't know why, but I, I, I picked it up. It was written by someone. Their government is very different. They have uh civil servants that no matter what party you're with, you work with whoever gets elected and you serve the country. It's kind of like how the queen 
isn't political. She's like this unifier of the country, something that America could really learn from is, you know, in all this division, it doesn't matter how divided there are multiple parties that they have like five or six, but the Queens, this person brings everybody together because she's apolitical. But Thatcher was super conservative. And meanwhile, she had a cabinet and an inner circle around her that was mixed. And so this lady that was surrounding her was very liberal, but she writes about the person. So the book was called People Like Us, um, written by someone from uh, the complete opposite spectrum, but became very close with her and just a very unique glimpse into her. She made a statement that, that really stuck out to me. And she said, Margaret Thatcher, known as the Iron Lady, because she was a woman, the first prime minister um, in the world, she uh, had to be seen as strong. She said, often appearing strong makes you very unlikable and you have to choose. And I just thought that was an interesting dynamic in our current uh, political uh, sphere. There's a lot of application there that, that makes you think, is that true? And does that apply? Yeah. Yeah, man. That's um, yeah. I'm fascinated by Margaret Thatcher as well for some of the reasons that you listed there. And uh, I have not read Dune, but I've heard a lot about it. So you're you're con- oh, you're in for a treat, man. How about you? What books? Because uh, you were one of the, <clears throat> the, the most well-read men that I know. What have you? read? Oh, man, I, I don't know. And, you know, I mean, uh, I know for most of us uh, that are watching and listening, I mean, you you read for practical knowledge you know i mean uh, leisure reading uh for some of us is kind of you know again that's what it is it's it's a luxury um but like this year i think in some ways um as much as you know i appreciate the you know organizational leadership literature and those kinds of things i think a lot of what i've been reading has had to do with how do we shape our thinking for the future in our culture and I, I'd be very interested, uh, at Brooks, as we're dropping these uh, books out, you can drop them in the chat for, and if you've got books that you recommend, we'd love for you to drop them in the chat as well and to interact over that. But the first uh, two books, um, you know, that I'll just mention, and there's, I mean, you're right, there's a lot that I've read. Uh, the first is Brown Church by Robert Chow Romero. And that book, I think, in some ways is, it's a seminal book. It's practical. I mean, uh, Dr. Robert Chalmer Romero, he's a historian. And he's, a, he's actually a historian of Latin history at UCLA, but he's also a Christian, uh, evangelical. Um, but uh, the subtitle of his book is Five Centuries of Latino, Latino Social Justice Theology and Identity. And man, it's just it just blew me away because what he does is he actually traces back uh, you know, the history of Latin American churches, both in Latin America, but also here in North America, and how there's been a consistent thread of both evangelism and mission and justice. It's like baked into their theology. And, uh, you know, like I, I think even in seminary, we've heard a lot of the um, <clears throat> foundational ideas behind liberation theology. Uh, but uh, Dr. Romero makes a really strong case that this is much more biblical and much more missional than maybe what we're, we were led on in our traditional conservative seminary. So uh, yeah, I've had some time to really process this book with a lot of other folks. And it's been, as somebody who's not uh, Latin American, uh, I, I learned from it greatly. Mm. A second book is actually- Let me, let um, me say real quick before you head yeah. into that, for those of you that are interested in finding out more, I think I interviewed him on- He's got a couple of books. I may have interviewed him on three for the um, Divided No More resource kit with Exponential. He was a fascinating dude to chat with. So if you're interested in hearing more, we've got over 60 uh, videos and 30 author interviews. And I think he made up three of those. So Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys did that with him. Uh, second book is uh, Empty the Pews. And mm. it's actually an anthology of a number of former even young evangelicals that have left the church uh, and some have even left Christianity altogether. The foreword of the book was written by Frank Schaefer, the son of Francis Schaefer, who eventually became, uh, you know, uh, all intents and purposes, you know, uh, he recanted his faith. And uh, so it's a very interesting, you know, uh, Schaefer journey. But um, the the stories that are shared, you know, in the anthology, a lot of them just really, uh, man, uh, emotionally, I think they were hard to to read 
because we, we talk so much about mission and we talk so much about reaching people and we talk so much about like planning churches and, and leading churches that really reach those who have been turned off by the church. Um, and then to discover that there is a fresh new batch of people that have left the church and they have some very justifiable reasons. And there is no necessarily any closure that comes with the book, only other than I think we who are church leaders need to be attentive to these stories uh, because they're in our you know pews. Uh, they're in our community, and um, and hopefully they'll stick around so that we can have those conversations. But that was a, a very helpful book. And then the last one is just super practical. Um, Doug Paul uh, released his um, book, Ready or Not, Kingdom Innovation for a Brave New World. Uh, and Doug is such a gifted thinker, um, and he's worked you know, with New Thing and Exponential and uh, we did um, the coaching early on in the pandemic, and so I can't recommend enough his book, especially for those of us who are thinking about how do we take advantage of uh, you know what's going on right now. As a matter of fact, one of our first questions, I don't want to jump ahead to questions right away, but I feel like this is a great uh, opportunity for this. One of our first questions has to do with, you know, how do we not be in this holding pattern? Like we, we see that you know, there's a lot of uh, ministries that are kind of in this holding pattern. Um, but some see this as a way to move forward. And we'll get to that question a little bit later, but I do think that Doug really captures the essence of that because he actually wrote this book in the midst of the pandemic. And uh, so he talks a lot about how sometimes things like, uh, you know, black swan events or something like this is a catalyst for innovation. So we're gonna come back to that question in a second here, but um, yeah, so those are three really great books that I feel like um, I'd love for our listeners to grab a hold of them. Mm. Good. Well, thanks for that. Um, you know, the, the, this is one of the things, if you've joined us for Frontlines, we're going to be moving, by the way, to every other Wednesday um, so you can catch us. But one of the things that Daniel always brings to the table, something like a little more, um, you know, something kind of fresh and vibrant. Everyone's so we talk about our biggest mistakes or, you know, what's the what's the best thing that ever happened to you. So it's a way for you to kind of laugh along with us. Um, I think we have to laugh in times like these, but I also you know, I run a podcast for church planners where we, we goof off for a good chunk of it because church planning is hard, man. And you just sometimes have to, to hear people just kind of let their hair down and go, all right, all right. You know, we're, we're back. Cause if you're a boxer, man, you, you know, you got to sit in the corner. So there's always this time you got to sit in the corner, ding, 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 the bell rings. You got to recuperate and get back out there. And ministry has that kind of rhythm. And so, uh, you know, uh, thanks for allowing us to have that time in the corner, just, you know, getting ready to run at it. And we're going to run at it now. We're going to talk about, you know, the trends, the things that we see, what to expect. And when Daniel and I kind of compared notes, we were like, hey, our, our list of three are not the same. And so we're going to jump into that. But um, I, I felt looking at our list, Daniel, they, they were really well-rounded and you're much better at leading these kinds of things. So I'm going to, I'm going to back, I'm going to let you steer here because uh, you know, we've each got three things. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a couple and then we'll, we'll go back and forth, but I think you're right. The things that we picked out and uh, you know, prayerfully thought through uh, uh, have been things that, you know, we've been really helping others sort through. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I was uh, last week, uh, I was reading a couple of blogs from um, you know Kerry Newoff and he and he's great at doing this kind of stuff talking about trends um, and I realized that you know um, nobody really knows what's going to happen. <laughs> nope, nobody has a crystal ball. I certainly don't. Yeah, you remember back in you know July and when people were getting ready to restart uh, you know meeting together again and then there were some churches that were like, well we're not going to meet until 2021. And for some people, they were they thought that that was just like holy smokes, like you've got courage to wait. We still have churches that you know they don't have a plan to to, to meet in person yet. I'm here in Chicago, and you know uh, people had Christmas services online, and they still don't have a plan to meet yet. And so I, again, nobody knows what's going to happen. But some of the things that we'll talk about here are really based on what we're uh, seeing and what we've been learning from others. Um, uh, and the first one that I, I, I want to share, uh, I think it's really helpful for us to think through, uh, is most churches are going to uh, have an intense focus on 
people engagement specifically around mental health issues. Mm. Um, and I think that in some ways I was, I, I had a conversation with my doctor this week and I said, Hey, you know, so during the pandemic, like what has uh, your caseload for patients that have anxiety and stress? And he said, they've doubled, tripled. I mean, it's just, it's since the pandemic, job losses, you know, uh, all those kinds of things doubled and tripled. And um, I, I think in some ways, uh, this is the engagement of people, you know, again, I, I love the idea of like, okay, you know, for, for a while we were thinking about like gathering people, but no, it's really, we're going back to this idea of how do we actually engage people, like the one-on-ones, the, the meaningful conversations, you know, things that people were scrambling to do. I think in 2021, there's going to be a renewed focus around that, but specifically around people's mental health. You know, and I know this, this is true for myself because like I was talking to some of our team members that we hadn't seen each other in two weeks. And I told them, I was like, I have not been out of the house in four days. Like I've just literally not stepped outside my door. And that, that has, you know, very tangible effects. Uh, I was reading a Barna study uh, and they did a survey uh, back in September, I believe. And they released a study towards the end of the year. And as a matter of fact, they, they found out amongst those that they surveyed that only 49% of previously regular church-going people watched uh, a service online. So, I mean, think about that. In the last 10 months to 11 months since the pandemic began, regular churchgoers, only 49% uh, watched or had some kind of online engagement. And then one in five regular church attenders they never attended a digital or in-person service. So that meant that basically, you know, 20% of those that they surveyed completely dropped off in any kind of church engagement. Um, and I think pastors are really feeling this. Like those who have even reopened their campuses and reopened their services, they realize that, you know, the 50 to 60% of people that are there uh, is only a small representation of the actual people that they need to engage. And so I think there's a renewed effort that's going on right now. It's going to continue on. Uh, and then I think specifically it's going to dive deep into the issues of how do we deal with your isolation, your loneliness that you've been in for the last year. I think that's going to ramp up. So, yeah, you know, particularly towards the beginning, I know a lot of people that um, a lot of ministers I knew, uh, said, we're just doing pastoral calls nonstop. Like the amount of domestic abuse we're called into, um, people start using again, maybe a guy's, um, you know, I live in a military town. And so there's a lot of demons that a lot of the combat veterans fight with and, uh, you know, just maybe getting back on meth. You know, I mean, the, these are real life events that I'm coming across. Um, and, you know, of course, I used to be a psych nurse. Um, I, I'm an RN, you know, and I remember being on staff at a mega church, getting ready to go to the mission field for 12 years. And I, I, I fell back on my on my nursing uh, for a year and went to work in a, in a psychiatric uh, hospital, the busiest one in Southern Cal. So with LA, that tells you something. And um, I would see people from the church in there. And back in the nineties, man, you know, I mean, Rick Warren has is, is certainly raised awareness, but back then there was like nothing um, that was, uh, nobody was talking about it. In fact, if you heard anything from the church, it was usually unhelpful about psychiatric or mental illness, or, you, you know, you mentioned even mental health, you don't have to be diagnosed mentally ill to actually be suffering bad mental health. And I think that's, that's what we've seen. So I love that you brought that up because um, I think all of us have, have been affected whether we realize or not just sitting at home. Uh, psychologists are saying right now that um, in a weird way, a lot of this goes back to our survival instinct. But the problem is with the survival instinct, the survival instinct, when it kicks in, it wants to do things. It's a fight or flight right. and we're hiding, right? This, it, there's this disparity between, you know, the survival thing. And then, so I'm just sitting here waiting you know? and, and that causes problems mentally. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, you think about this, um, uh, at least, uh, you know, nearly 10% of, Americans know somebody who uh, who they lost, you know, to, to COVID. And so 
that has a hmm. collective, um, uh, you know, wearing on our psyche. Yeah. And I think that pastors are right to right now take these early months in the year to really focus on the well-being of, uh, you know, this is, you know, the time of year, this in the fall is the time of year where you kind of hype up vision. And I, I think you still do that, but it's also a time to, to do it in a very pastoral way. Yeah. Uh, being mindful that people had a very different experience for Christmas this year. So what's, what's your yeah. first, uh, what's your first trend? Uh, Peyton. So my first trend is very much like that first question that talks about the holding pattern. Um, how do you find ideas and energy? You know, for me, um, one of the things that that's been really, um, you know, going back to what we just said, interaction is so key to humanity. And I really think that interaction is something, I mean, we're talking like, I, I guess I'm kind of known in the church planning circle a little bit for what I've written or, you know, some of the podcasts, but what, what I did not intend when I started writing, I came back off the mission field was to, to, to feel at times like a little bit of a reformer, because if you read the writings, church plantology is my first church planning book. All the other stuff has been more like reformation, right? Like, I guess a lot of the missiologists, you know, like, you know, um, Roland Allen and some of the, they, they come off the field and they're, they're, they're more about reform, like missional reform. And that, that's certainly something I did not intend. But um, one of the things that, that really occurred to me, I planted a church in Starbucks accidentally in a country that rains every day, um, and so people were very prone and I, I fell into this accidentally sitting around coffee tables, talking through books, uh, Yen Martel's Life of Pi, right? You discuss universalism. It's all very missional stuff. Uh, Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, right? You show how he's whack. And, and at the end of the day, um, this became kind of for me realizing, gosh, like you mentioned, like, um, psychiatric mental health. And in the psych hospital, there was therapy groups and people would come out and they would go, Pastor Peyton, I, I was in there. And, and I remember managing at times therapy groups thinking, why doesn't the church do this? This is intense. This is amazing. This is better than just sitting around, you know, uh, listening to some dude talk for 30 minutes and having a sing song for another 30 minutes. And I think when people are coming to our online services, they're going, yeah, I, I don't, like, I don't want to watch a show, man. That's not where I'm at. I need to engage. I need interaction. So when I'm looking at the shift that a lot of ministers and pastors have done, um, it's like AA. You go to an AA meeting, you're going to find something. Uh, it was started by two ministers, but, you know, you, you uh, sorry, actually, they were lay ministers, Dr. Bob and the other guy. But you're going to find this interaction, this bearing of your soul and this, this spiritual growth that starts to come out of it. That's why they actually started off doing religious groups to help people get off addiction, came out of the temperance movement, the holiness movement. And they went, you know, what? we won't reach as many people. So we'll talk about a higher power. We, we, we'll still have the gospel in there. You repent, you confess, you, you acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. All that stuff is hardwired into those 12 steps. But, but what happened was the interaction level um, people are coming now to our online services, and there hasn't been the innovative shift that needs to happen to say, like you said, mentally, mental health-wise, what are you lacking right now as a human? You're sitting at home. You're being denied interaction. And one of the things I, I laid out in my first book, Church Zero, cha-ching, was to, uh, to, to have the church be interactive. Like if there's 32 one another's in the New Testament, how do those happen when I'm staring at the back of somebody's head? This has been the opportunity for a pastor or a leader or anyone to sit there. You can interview people and then interact with the audience. If you like we're doing today, we're interacting with your questions. We're going to be taking these throughout interacting. People have real interactive questions and there's a way to make it anonymous. You could make this the time where those questions really come out. So for the church services that we ran ever since we started that church accidentally in a Starbucks, we sat around coffee tables. We took that atmosphere of Starbucks. We refused to set up rows. Um, you know, there was a, an article I read years ago. It said life change happens in circles, not in rows. Mm -hmm. And I'm a firm believer of that. But this can this can translate to our online experience. It's not that we if we can't meet in person, we could actually go to a greater depth right now is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful. And I think that that's the key opportunity that's in front of us is if we weren't thinking that way before we have a we have a chance to really 
not just uh, think it, but to actually try new things. And I think that's really what, what's going to happen. There's a couple of books that have come out in the midst of the pandemic, and only these three guys can do it. But N.T. Wright wrote, wrote something. He theologized the pandemic. John Piper did the same thing. Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Post-COVID Church. Um, and I think in some ways, uh, you know, this is the way that this we're in that moment now where we're not out of the pandemic, but we're thinking about what what's the next thing. And that's kind of that's the that's uh, our third trend uh, is uh, there's going to be a refocus around mission and not just the pandemic, you know, um, and I think we're going to we're getting there. We're not there. We're probably still months from uh, the majority of people having a vaccine. As a matter of fact, if I understand it correctly, it probably won't be until the end of the summer or early fall where we can really feel like there's a substantial number of people that have the vaccine. But I think regardless of the number of people that actually have the vaccine, there's going to be this gradual focus primarily on mission and not just a response to COVID. Uh, our church plant, we started uh, meeting uh, virtually right in the midst of the pandemic. June 12th was our first uh, actual gathering. So if you want to talk about planning a church in the midst of COVID, you know, let's have a conversation. Um, and so much of our conversation, you know, was how do we do this? How do we, you know, how do we meet? How, you know, it was the digital thing, same conversations that a lot of other people were having. But once we got into the fall and we had multiplied our missional communities, so we started off as one missional community in the, in the summer, and by the fall we had multiplied to two, two and a half. We have one that's incubating. Um, we had to really seriously ask the question, not just how do we gather, but how do we actually uh, be uh, integral to this next season in our communities? So that really became the question. Uh, not not how do we rent a facility because nobody was renting to us or how do we get somebody to jump on a Zoom call. It was how do we actually embed ourselves in our community so that in this season uh, we can be more integrated to what's going on in the life of our communities. And so uh, we uh, that really drastically changed the way that we thought about like Christmas. And so we we really didn't host like a Christmas gathering or a Christmas service. Again, we're in Chicago. Everything was restricted, is restricted. But what we decided to do was we wanted to, one, spotlight uh, some real-life stories in our community. And uh, we also wanted to um, uh, put put some uh, some gas on some other folks that were doing some really great things in our community. So we did a video called Building a Home. And we circulated that video around our community. And because we wanted to inspire and bring hope. And we wanted folks to know that uh, things were still happening happening in our city regardless of what was going on in the pandemic. There were a few mentions about the pandemic, but that was not the the centerpiece of, of, of that. Um, and I think a lot of us will begin to move into Easter with a similar mindset. I know that we're probably still going to be thinking about like, you know, how do we gather and those kinds of things. But I think there's going to be a gradual shift to asking the question, what is mission today? And um, I think that's where we're going to, you know, I, I really thought that coming uh, into the new year that we would have a lot of more innovative ideas. And I think in some ways um, it accelerated what was already happening, which was digitizing um, ministry and then also decentralizing, you know, leadership and gatherings. Um, so it kind of furthered that. I really do think that once we start be, uh, getting out of like the pandemic, that's where we'll see some of the innovation happen. I know, for instance, Exponential is starting a futures uh, venture type, uh, you know, uh, uh, group. And I think those things are going to happen more and more because we're going to stop thinking about like the pandemic. We're going to start thinking about, OK, what's the mission that's in front of us? And then one, one last thing, Peyton, and I want to throw it to you. I think a part of refocusing on the mission uh, is going to happen because the pandemic taught us that prior to the pandemic, we were focusing too much, not on the mission, but too much on the gathering. And so that to me, I think, is the dramatic shift uh, that many will finally get into and realize that, okay, um, we, we can't help uh, what happened the last 12 months but how do we re-engage in the mission and not just be obsessed about the gathering? So, I love that, man. And I so agree with it. I actually, um, as I think about um, very similar and, and maybe riffing back off that earlier question, how do you get out of that holding pattern? 
you know, I, I'm reading this crazy book right now. It's super good called Wintering. And it's mm. by, I think her name's Alison May. Um, she's a British uh, uh, university professor. And she writes about, you know, the process of how the world goes into a winter phase and, you know, what this means for us, which is perfect for, for the pandemic, right? Because everybody's being forced to, to winter. She yeah. talks about Nordic uh, communities, people up in Iceland and different places and, and what that means for them. But she talks about the dormouse and how the dormouse, it gets ready, it eats voraciously, um, doubles its birth weight, hibernates in a moist place so it can get all the liquid it needs. And, um, you know, for me, part of my mind, it goes back to this almost like, you know, you plant a tree um, today for the shade that you want 10 years from now, 20 years from now. There's a sense in which if you haven't been storing and prepping and planning for today, I'm not going to say it's too late but you've got to do the work now to prep your people for what you want them to do. And it will pay off for whatever comes next. And we don't have the ability to, to futurize. We don't know what's coming. Um, it could get worse. Everybody thinks that what happens we're at the bottom of the U it's going to go up. It could go deeper. Still another strain could come out of this thing that, that makes this thing look like, you know, Mr. Rogers. We don't know. But what I can tell you is this should be, as, as my next point, this should be the time where our people were activated. So I run a network called the New Breed Network, um, and it's, it's an apostolic network of, of people that are bivocational, they're highly missional. Like I have a, a barber who, um, he cuts people's hairs and he said they, they, they uh, notice I said hairs as bald men, you know, he cuts people's hair and they... Uh, they they lean back in that chair and he says, it's like I become Monsignor, you know, father confessor, and they confess all their sins. I don't know what it is. He says, they just start talking to me about all the stuff they've done wrong. And he says, and I talk to them and we have these amazing conversations and they say, meet me across the street in the cigar lounge. And this is, this is pre-pandemic, right? So I don't know what he's doing now, but he, he, he was so missionally activated. He joined our network and he goes, Peyton, I may never plant a church. I'm just feeding all these people because they come to the cigar lounge and they come to faith because we talk there and uh, we have a whiskey, we have a cigar and boom, they're coming to faith. And he goes, so I, I don't know, man, like, I don't know if I should be focusing on it. And our, our advice to him was keep doing what you're doing, man. Serve that church you're in. Don't worry about that. You're, you're where you should be. God's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. I don't think God needs you to go out and put a church on the map to make that happen. Just do what you're doing right now. If, if any movement comes, maybe just take some people with you, disciple them and see what happens. But the reality is um, if, if you're looking at what should have been happening, every believer, my passion right now is that uh, church planning at the end of it, when you really get to the bottom of church planning or like church planning, not 101, not 201, 301, when you get to like doctorate level church planning, it's all about, and I mean that metaphorically, it's all about releasing the everyday believer in their gift. It's so very little about leadership. Um, right now, if you if you go online, you, everything's about leaders, leaders. It's all been about leaders, leaders. Leaders do this, and leaders we're going to maximize, and leaders. It really has little to do with you. And you realize that as you get further into church planning, that leadership is the smallest piece of church planning that the biggest piece is what happens when Jerusalem, right? Um, God drives him out using Paul, church planner, before he was saved. Hello. And God uses Saul of Tarsus to scatter the church. All these activated believers that we saw in Acts 2.42, gift-activated believers who were just so well-discipled that their gifts are just pumping. Wherever they go, a movement's going to happen. That's what we should have seen. So when a pandemic happens and strikes like a solitarsis, our people, wherever they are, they're just blossoming and thriving. So, so to use an example of that, if I were doing the interactive thing in church, right, like I was talking about earlier, what that used to do on Sunday mornings is it used to disciple every believer that was with us. And they would have these small groups after we preach a sermon, there'd be this interactive talking about it. In that, people would be evangelizing. They'd be laying hands on each other. They'd be discipling people. People would be getting real. All the stuff that you would uh, disciple people in for real ministry was happening there. Mm -hmm. So we had 
all these people, they're just awakened in their gifts. So for new breed, the reason I brought that up was they haven't suffered in the pandemic. They're like, this is what, this, this is our time. You know, this is what we were trained for this. Right. But the, the reality is our churches ought to be permeating where they're at. They should be like, this is our time. So for example, like, um, you know, let's say stay at home mom, she goes, you know what, this is great. Cause you know, me and my friends have been talking forever about, you know, getting together and doing a dinner club. Now we can't do that. But what if we did a cooking class online Zoom? I get, you know, uh, like my neighbors are Hindu and they're always making this rad food and everybody goes across the street sharing food. What if it was like, hey, let's have a rotation tonight to your night to cook. You send the ingredients out and you're doing this. What what I would train people to do in like micro church missional stuff, um, that kind of stuff. That's what our churches have always done. Um, maybe a book club, like a reading club, how I started that church in Starbucks, where you, you just like to read, you figure out what you like to do, you're activating your gifts. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, by the way, I always say this, when your spiritual gifts are activated, you automatically become evangelistic. Mm-hmm. So if you find what your gifts are, you're just naturally, that's why I'm saying church planning at when a movement happens, it's all about everyday believers being activated in their gifts. And this is so the time for that. When everybody's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm bored of Netflix and, you know, Karate Kid. I've just watched that season three. There's no more Tiger King coming. You know, I mean, we're at the bottom of all that, right? Like that's all, it's all happened. It's all done and gone. Now's the time, right? So that's what I would have loved to have seen. And sorry, this is my long one. My next one will be short. But my point is, this was the wintering that should have been built up, built up by ministers. But, but unfortunately, as leaders, we've been too obsessed with ourselves for far too long and not obsessed enough with the people in front of us. Yeah, that's so That's good. a tough I, pill. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, uh, this is one of the uh, listeners dropped in a question about the reason behind bivocational ministry. And I think you articulated that well. I, I would go ahead and address that question uh, because, you know, what Peyton, what you're saying, um, uh, and along with my previous point about refocusing on mission, uh, the movements that we think uh, can only happen, can only happen if it's focused on the entire body and not the, the leadership and the, you know, what we would consider the clergy. And I think the principle behind bivocational ministry isn't so much about like, uh, you know, the financial source for one's livelihood, although I think that's a component of it. I think the number one driver of why bivocational is it's this idea that everybody gets to participate in mission and everybody gets to meaningfully belong to, um, you know, um, and it's not it's not just like a volunteer, like serve on a team type thing, but there's ownership. And I think um, the reason why our church plant, we decided to move to a co-vocational or, you know, a bivocational model, which is basically everybody on our leadership team, we all work, you know, a, a, a full-time job, and then we're also full-time planting the church. Yeah. But because I, I think in some ways, we really do believe that, like, regardless of your your uh, financial vocation, that you're always called to be uh, in the trenches of ministry. And um, like, I'm a big believer of that. As a matter of fact, uh, before I started in ministry, I was um, a, a, or in full-time ministry, I was an assistant pastor uh, at the church that I grew up in. And my senior pastor would always make fun of me. He'd say, you know, I'm good for something, but you're good for nothing. <laughs> because I would serve the church for free. Like I'd get paid. Uh, but that was just because that's, that's what we do. And I think in some ways we're kind of getting back to that where I think we realize that, um, and again, I think we need full-time people. We're, that's not to say that there shouldn't be full-time pastors. And and I, I like what Hugh Halter says. If you guys get a chance, you can go back to our first season. We interviewed Hugh Halter about this. But he says, that he, he thinks that if you are, if you're fully uh, paid by your ministry, it should be because you're equipping people to do ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, oh, that's that was so good. Cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. To throw out just a, a bit of props to him. Um, he has two books along this um, Bible, which is amazing. His other book, which is amazing, is called Happy Hour. And that's maybe about 
you know, what I was talking a little bit um, later, but, uh, or earlier, sorry, time, time's weird in 2020, right? We're 2021 now, but um, yeah. And Bible, you know, it's funny. I, when I start off at mega church and I went to work in the psych hospital, that was, I always jokingly tell people I was the best ministry prepper I ever had was being a psych nurse, but um, <laughs> which is no joke actually. But when I went to, to Wales as a missionary, I was at Lloyd Jones's church um, as the evangelist and when 9-11 hit back then, I mean, shoot, that was the last thing that um, what was very uh, good in some ways, people flooded to church, uh, was bad financially. Everybody closed the, the, the purse strings. And so charities took a hit by 50%, which meant I had to go work in a factory. Well, lo and behold, I've been working as an evangelist for a year, hadn't reached anybody. Now, all of a sudden, I have to go work on the factory floor with the people I'm trying to reach. And within you know, probably like the first, I don't know, like three, four or five weeks, three people came to faith on the assembly line. And it was just like, okay, Lord. So I went on from there to become a firefighter, to becoming a clinical troubleshooter, using my RN again, Starbucks Brist, that's how I planned a church. For me, I haven't looked back. I've never stopped being bivocational. You know, I've worked for some religious institutions, but that's exactly, I, I, church plan doesn't pay my bills. I mean, and the great thing is when you don't attach money to, to your mission, uh, I, I know like I'm terrible. Like there are times people are like, hey, we want to fund what you're doing. And, and I'm good with that, but I'm terrible at raising funds. So for me, it's worked really well that I just, I don't need money to do what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah that's really good. Well, I, man, we're uh, we're on number four. So let, let me- <laughs> we, better, we better use yeah. some jet propulsion here. Yeah, uh, well, I'll get to my my third and last one, and you, you'll get to to the to the final one. But uh, you know, so much has gone on in 2020 uh, with the social unrest, the uh, the racial tensions. Um, I think every organization is pro- uh, processing that. Uh, we, you know, I, I belong to a denomination right now where even today our executive leaders are meeting about uh, issues of race today. Uh, and I know even uh, at Exponential, uh, Exponential created a, a pastor's toolkit around how to have these conversations. It's not that people weren't having it before, um, but it's that for those who weren't, they are. And those who are have been having it, they're realizing that it's not been enough. So um, as we're looking into 2021, I think there's going to be a huge, huge renewed effort to figure out what does not just diversity look like, but what does meaningful diversity look like? Uh, I think everybody realizes now that diversity has got to go beyond just quota. Uh, people are realizing that there's got to be real uh, um, uh, integration of life, real integration of thought leadership, uh, real integration of uh, humble leadership. And um, here's the thing, uh, Peyton, uh, this is not something that uh, only white people are having to ask. I think uh, people of color, uh, people who are from minority groups are having to ask very similar questions. How do we diversify our ethnic congregations? How do we diversify our organizations that have, uh, you know, routinely only been catered towards a particular kind of people? Um, So in some ways, this past year has been an equalizer for all kinds of organizations to have this conversation. Mm. Um, I know it makes a lot of people nervous. You know, I know there are a lot of things that are going on in Twitter and Facebook right now in terms of CRT and intersectionality and, you know, groups that you don't want to be associated with. But I want to encourage, you know, all of our pastors and those who are leading right now, you don't have to adopt the language that other people are, are using. I think it's good to learn from everybody. But I think it's important that you begin to have a meaningful conversation in your group and not just amongst yourself, but begin to have real conversations with those who are least represented in your community. Uh, Because I think uh, as we move forward, our children are going to have to build on what we're doing. And so we're really Hmm. trying to put them further ahead than where we started. I think 2021 is going to be the year for a lot of that. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, man, because my, my kids are, are mixed ethnicity and mom and dad are very white. But my wife is actually half Arabic and she doesn't look it. She blonde hair, blue eyes. So she she kind of uh, 
she wishes she looked like the rest of her family, but she inherited her dad's genes on, on looks, but uh, I'm happy with her. She's fine, you know, but uh, I married her, dang it. But, you know, it, it's that whole thing of, I think, you know, my mom was an ESL teacher growing up and uh, this is a sensitivity I've, I've always kind of been raised with, but I think it's like what, what's happened in the church has been kind of like what happens in a marriage where perhaps, you know, one member of the marriage is unhappy for a really long time, but doesn't say anything. And then it comes to a head and she says, look, I, I, or he says, I've been trying to tell this to you forever and you just have not been listening. And, you know, now it's at a point where we have to do something. We have to go to counseling or we have to, you know, start, maybe we need to separate. Um, there's, there, I, I feel like in the church, um, it, it, some people that are suspicious by nature would say, oh, this is all dictated by, you know, uh, uh, you know, secular and uh, the church. It's not the kingdom of God. And yet the very first issue that the early church ever had was issues of ethnicity. When the Hellenists and the Jews, this division broke up over the distribution of food, they had to deal with this from day one. And it continued, you know, all of your epistles are written over issues of ethnicity right? Between the Jews being mad about the Gentiles and then the circumcision group. And that was, it was ethnicity was at the root of this. And we, we, we failed to, to, to realize how rooted it is. So, um, you know, and I know you're doing your, your PhD, a lot of your PhD work on this right now, um, yeah, which well, is pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot of things that um, <clears throat> I think um, overlaps with uh, church planting, uh, in this arena, because, um, you know, here's the thing, Peyton, like, I, I, I don't, I don't meet, uh, Anglo church planters these days, uh, who are saying they're planting predominantly white churches. I mean, I think every, every white church planter is, planting. I'm going I'm to plant a white church. <laughs> that, would, that would seem weird, wouldn't it? That's right. <laughs> and, um, and, and to, to some degree, uh, you know, African-Americans, most African-Americans that are planting churches are, are not going to say they're p planting a predominantly African-American church. You might still find some, uh, you know, amongst immigrant communities, you might still have those that are planting language specific churches. But this is what I was talking about earlier is that we're all at a point now where we all need to, to up our game and our ability to not just talk about this, but then to really have meaningful diversity. I don't yeah. think every I don't think every church needs to be a multi ethnic church, but what I do think is that for every church that has some level of diversity, it's got to be meaningful uh, in order for it to really represent uh, what the kingdom of God uh, should look like. And so, yeah. um, and I and, and I think it's we're seeing some really good uh, progress on it, but it's a very difficult conversation. I just want to encourage our listeners to keep pressing into it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to step on some landmines. And hopefully uh, when you're, you know, your guts and blood are all over the place, those who come behind you can circumvent those issues and have an even better conversation. Yeah. My, my the, the reason I was raised in California is my mom lived in Montgomery, Alabama, and there was an Air Force base there. Well, there's an Air Force base here in, in California. And when my mom married her second husband, he moved us out here. And, but all my family's back there. And, you know, when, when you look at, um, you know, the civil rights and all that stuff, I mean, it's really cool. Cause if I go visit my family, I get to take my, my little ladies of color to, um, you know, the, 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 the museum there and, yep. and they get to learn about civil rights and we'd sit on the bus. It's, it's pretty cool, but you know, the, the way I look at the civil rights is that, you know, when you really start tracing, tracing these things about people, groups, and all that stuff back into the, into the New Testament, you realize, gosh, God has this love for all ethnicities, even in, in Acts and on Mars Hill, Paul says he made the ethnicities. And I'm yielding some of my, my time off my topic to your topic here. So I, I am looking at the clock here. But one of the things that I love is that um, in the civil rights that came from the church, but it was really, it was just as hard, if not harder for the white church to appreciate it. If you guys have never read letters from a Birmingham letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr. It is so stinking prophetic. It is him writing to the white pastors in the South saying, where are you? Why are you not a part of this? And, and, and one of the things that I would say about the civil rights and even about this recent thing, not that all of the actions or all the outworkings of it were godly. They, I mean, there was tons of ungodliness that 
Um, I, I think the movement actually got hijacked at a certain point, but that's sorry. I don't mean to get political here, but i um, trying to keep this neutral, but the, the kingdom of God, I believe, um, and I know you will agree with this theologically, the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. The church is, is the visible representation of the people of God that make up the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is working beyond the borders of the church. We have to believe that, right? It's like when Jesus says, Father, I praise you. You have been or are working and have been working till now. God is out there doing things on the uh, before a missionary even gets there. Um, God is, is out there. He's concerned about people. He's working. And, and the civil rights seem to be one of those places where the kingdom of God was moving through the church, but when it's not originating, there are times where things like the Me Too movement, where you go, well, you know, that that women should not be objectified, women should not be sexualized, women should not, all of these things, these are good things. They may not be coming, but perhaps the kingdom of God is just outpacing the church and the church needs to catch up a little bit. And I think we're playing catch up. So I appreciate that. My last point, and we're five minutes from in Mark here. So I'm going to quickly say this. My belief about this time right now and what the trend is and what I don't think we've hit or what we've heard much of is spiritual formation. In other words, um, we have this idea in Christianity of a retreat that I go to the desert, that I pull back like Jesus did. I pull back off mission. I, I get along alone to a solitary place. Um, we know about prayer and fasting that you um, you have these times where you just pull back. Paul spent a lot of time in prison, and I think those were times for him to recharge and retreat. And I see this as a time where we could really benefit from some time just meeting with the Father, meeting with the Son, meeting with the Holy Spirit. Um, a book I would highly recommend, I know it's weird to say this, but it's written like four or 500 years ago. It's John uh, Owen, uh, Communion with God. Get the modern English abridged version, please. Um, it, it's a Puritan paperback. That book you will be on some kind of weird, epic spiritual odyssey. I'm not, I didn't mean that to sound like a mushroom trip, but I mean like a date with God. When was the last time you went on a date with God? Because that's what can happen during this time. And I don't think we have used this strategically to be a time to fall back. Like, like you would hear in a military term, fall back, you know, so you can strategically launch your next counterattack. This is the time. And this is what I was going to say. I think the church ought to end Right now, where it began, and that was in a room praying, asking for power for the mission that they knew was to come. So I would say the third thing is spiritual formation. Why aren't we hearing about that? Why are our leaders not talking about that? Why are people not hearing, hey, let's double down? Like uh, for me right now, that's that's my new thing. And especially coming off a textbook where I was burnt out, man, I, I needed that. I needed to just me get alone with God. And so uh, there we go. That's my point. <laughs> that's so good, man. And I know we're wrapping up here, but uh, we spent this past weekend with our, we've got five children, uh, ages 19, all the way down to two. And we spent three hours just with our kids, teaching them uh, how to plan their new year by uh, spending time with God, listening to Him. Mm. And, um, and I think that that's, that's the basic discipline. The way that we will do what God's called us to do in the kingdom of God is we learn to hear His voice, learn to trust Him, and then move forward in obedience. Man, if we can just do that in 2021, it's going to be, we're going to be in great shape. So um, I'm excited about our, our next season together, Peyton. And uh, yeah, any final words before we sign off here? Yeah, just a um, couple things. Um, again, we're meeting every other Wednesday. Um, it's not that we got demoted. It's that uh, Daniel and I rocked this. So now there's six shows instead of three that there was in 2020. And, uh, and so we're going to hit uh, rhythms. And Daniel's already mentioned some of the guests, super excited about that. Um, but you can, uh, Daniel, I want to ask, um, as you guys join us every other week, so two weeks from today, we'll be back. Um, definitely spread the word, tell people about it and um, let them know, because we're going to keep talking about this kind of innovation. Um, and, and we're going to unpack it. And we're going to be talking with people we respect. I'm super excited about some of the people that Daniel's in connection with, because um, he's out there researching the Sin Institute. And uh, Daniel, where can people catch up with you? Because I will say one thing about Daniel. When I was doing that textbook, 
I was reading rad articles from Daniel and he is a master of taking things that you may have heard about, like, you know, what's this Lausanne conference? And he writes an article about it. And that, that stuff that you write is super helpful. You know, it's well-researched, but it's also, it's at a level where it's, it's, it would help you understand if you're looking to go deeper into mission. So definitely where can they catch up with you, Daniel? Yeah, you can go to sendinstitute.org. You can check out some of our articles and our, our research that we put out there. So, uh, and then, um, you know, I, I'm really um, excited about just uh, jumping into the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about like, um, you know, how do you lead micro churches? We're going to we're going to talk about how do you lead multi ethnic uh, networks? Uh, I'm super excited to talk with uh, David Rosa Jr. out in uh, Southern Florida. And he's just such a sharp leader, uh, and we'll be talking with him about how to really uh, begin to lead the next generation of church planters. So, yeah, excited for our next season together. Very cool. And if you guys want uh, updates about anything that I've talked about, I'm actually getting ready to start some cohorts and um, some things. But you can go to ministryninja.com and check out. Um, you can sign up to the sign up list. And there will also be things about the book that I've mentioned, Church Plantology, which I have two whole chapters based on this uh, interaction. There's 20 chapters and two of them. 10% of my book is spent on that. Cha-ching! So anyways, there's another shameless plug. I, I don't do that. If you guys join us every week, I never do that. But hey, we've been the guest today, right? It's been kind of cool to interview ourselves, right? Yeah. So thanks for joining us today. And be sure to check out the roundtables coming up. There's going to be church planning roundtables. You can still check out the um, fall roundtables that we had, uh, the stuff on diversity. And we want to thank you today on behalf of Exponential for joining us. want to thank Exponential for really leading the way on so many of these topics to lead to greater multiplication. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you next time, hearing your questions. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.